In a day of polarization to extremes and consequent fragmentation of churches and individual lives, we need to heed the Apostle John's call to hold together truth and love on the basis of God's self-revelation throughout the scriptures and especially in the epistles of John. That was a prescient quote from 1988 by David Jackman in his book, The Message of John's Letters. What revelation does the Apostle John's letters have for us today? If you want to know more, don't go away. Hi, my name is Terence and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. When I can, I try to squeeze in a Logos free book of the month, depending on what Logos is giving away. For this month, it's Exalting Jesus in 1st, 2nd and 3rd John by Daniel L. Aiken. Coincidentally, or providentially, my senior pastor just completed a sermon series on 1st John, and after him, I preach a sermon on 2nd John. With the Apostle John still ringing in my mind, I feel more confident on reviewing this 288-page commentary on his letters. Exalting Jesus in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is part of the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary, or CCE for short, which boasts 35 books so far with more in progress. Let me read the Amazon description of the commentary series. Rather than a verse-by-verse approach, the authors have crafted chapters that explain and apply key passages in their assigned Bible books. Readers will learn to see Christ in all aspects of Scripture, and they will be encouraged by the devotional nature of each exposition. End quote. Now, the nature of the book, which is non-academic and devotional, uh, gives added confidence that I could finish this review before the free promotion ends. The series editors David Platt, Daniel Aiken, and Tony Marida explain, I quote, The Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary Series has pastors in view. While we hope others will read this series, such as parents, teachers, small group leaders, and student ministers, we desire to provide a commentary busy pastors will use for weekly preparation of biblically faithful and gospel-saturated sermons. This series is not academic in nature. Our aim is to present a readable and pastoral style of commentaries. End quote. And if the CCE's commentary on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is any indicator, then they have achieved their aims of a readable and pastoral style of commentaries. Although I must point out to my, li- to my listeners that easy to read is relative. If you are in a teaching position in church or you are a keen student of the Bible, If you understand or want to understand what is hermeneutics and homiletics, then you will appreciate this review. If not, then please know that most book reviews in this podcast are not commentaries. For example, you can listen to my review of children's books by S.D. Smith and Andrew Peterson, or uh, reviews on topical uh, issues like Redeeming Money by Paul Tripp. Coming back to Exalting Jesus in 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, To make this review on a commentary interesting, as much as I can, this is the structure. I'll tell you two things I like, two things I don't like, and I'll do that by comparing it with another commentary on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I'll call this other commentary, Commentary X. Near the end of the episode, I'll reveal the title and the author of this mysterious Commentary X, And by doing this side-by-side review, you will not just learn more about this month's free commentary from Logos, but you will hear how to compare 
two different commentaries, which could be important if you are out shopping for one. First, let me give you a brief, uh, a quick brief on the author. Uh, Daniel, or Danny Aiken, is the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. So it's a good thing I'm not reviewing his book as an assignment in his seminary because that would be a bit intimidating, given what I have to say. In his website, he lists 25 books he has written, which includes 12 books for the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary Series. And among many of the books, there is one with an eye-catching title, God on Sex. If I did a review on that book, maybe I'll get more subscribers. I understand that sex sells. But I should ask Akin if his book sales confirm that. In short, Akin has an impressive CV and has written for both scholars and general readers. So how did he do for his 2014 book, The CCE Commentary on 1st, 2nd and 3rd John? Now the first positive is, as I've mentioned, it's readable. Non-academic, non-technical. Any reader without any theological training can pick this book up and profit from it. Every chapter begins with a one-sentence main idea followed by a catchy outline. For example, chapter 1, which covers 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, begins with the following one-sentence main idea. I quote, Jesus Christ is the God-man who is the one basis of true Christian fellowship and eternal life. End quote. Next comes the outline. Number one, have a passion to know this life. Number two, have a passion to share this life. Number three, have a passion to enjoy this life. Easy to read, easy to digest, easy to remember. The main idea and the outline is helpful to guide the pastor or confirm his initial forays into the text. The second positive is the contemporary voice. Akin references John Piper, Chris Tomlin, and other contemporary voices. He also addresses questions ordinary people ask today and not questions scholars ask many decades ago. Now I'll move to the negatives, which will be longer because I try to substantiate my criticisms by comparing it with commentary X. The first negative is in some parts, not all, just some, in some parts, it feels like he is just paraphrasing what the passage says. For example, the Apostle John, okay, the Apostle John writes in 1 John 2.8, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is, is passing away and the true light is already shining. So that's what the Bible has. We read this today and some of us would naturally, I think, wonder, how is this commandment new? Okay, And uh, let's listen to how Akin explains it in his commentary. I quote, And the newness is threefold. First, it is new and true in Jesus. Second, it is true and new in us, those who, quote, walk just as he walked, end quote, uh, referring to verse 6. Third, it is true and new in us because, quote, the, script, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining, end quote. Now, it's, if, uh, you heard, uh, uh, if you were attentive, you will hear that he is just repeating what the verse actually said. 
It is new and true in Jesus, it is new and true in us. But that's just what the original verse said. I quote, a new commandment which is true, which is true in him and in you. And as part of his reason, his third point, Akin quotes back to us the verse, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So he is not giving anything new. This is as if I ask you, why is the sky blue? And you answer, because it is blue. It sounds zen, but that's not an explanation or exposition. And if reading the Bible verse back to you helps you, then you don't need this commentary. Thankfully, if Akin uh, stopped there, uh, then we would have a bit more of a sharper criticism. But he elaborates. Okay, Thankfully, he elaborates. But is the elaboration helpful? Listen to how he continues. I quote, In Christ, the command to love one another is strengthened, deepened, expanded, and given a depth of meaning and understanding never seen before. Be never seen before His coming in the Incarnation. And now that same kind of supernatural love is being seen and experienced in those who love Him and abide in Him. But there's more. Perfect love as revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has dealt a death blow to darkness. Darkness is on the run and it cannot outrun the light. In fact, the darkness is already departing and the true light already shines. The light of the world, uh, John 8, 12, has come. The king of light and love is already reigning and the fullness and consummation of that reign is just around the corner. How we love one another gives evidence of all of this. End quote. The way I read it, his exposition or elaboration midway turns to spontaneous doxology, a spontaneous praise, which I can appreciate, all right, except I actually wanted to know what 1 John 2 8 means. If I knew what it meant, I too would like to burst into praise. Perhaps the problem with the repeated paraphrasing here is due to the nature of the letter itself. If you're familiar with 1 John, you know that it quote-unquote suffers from thematic repetition. Perhaps it is the repetitive nature that is responsible for the tiredness in this reader-reviewer, me. And so it's not CCE's fault because the source material is the way it is. Except when I read commentary access exposition on this same verse, I am enlightened. Remember the question I posed of 1 John 2.8. How is the commandment new? In the commentary acts, it says, I quote, The law of love is new in the sense that it is seen in Jesus and established by him through his death and resurrection. This command is also new in that Jesus, by his obedience, fulfilled the whole of the law and gave it a depth of meaning that it had never known before, quoting John 13, verse 34 to 35. Finally, this command is new because for those who believe, who believe it, makes possible a new and eternal life in which they are motivated by the grace of God to fulfill the law of self-sacrificing Christ-like love. End quote. Now, in comparison here, um, I actually understand better what does new mean. Okay, So it's not just repeating or going into some uh, doxology or into praise. He actually explains what does the newness mean. 
in a way, if we want to uh, haggle, uh, it is saying almost the same thing, okay, but saying it better and to the point. Now, does every chapter in the CCE commentary have this same problem? No, and not always in the way I just described. Sometimes the disconnect appears as a, a list of facts, Bible verses, or a lengthy quote that seems out of place in the flow of the argument. The second thing I don't like about the CCE's commentary on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John is when he deals with a difficult passage. He doesn't present the merits of the different views. Now, I understand. The goal is not to be academic, which to some conjures up pages and pages of exhaustively listing and debating every tiny little bit of data to arrive at no conclusion. First of all, that is not true. Depending on which audience it aims for, an academic commentary can give concise and conclusive arguments. The thing is, the CCE doesn't handle well, in my opinion, the tension between being devotional on the one hand and expositional on the other, especially for difficult passages. I'll give you an example. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 5, 6, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. End quote. Now that is written by the Apostle John. The obvious question is, what is the water and the blood? And this is what the CCE has. I quote, some see the water as a reference to the water of physical birth. The water that flowed from our Lord's side when he was pierced on the cross, or even the two sacraments or ordinances of baptism, uh, water baptism, that the Lord's and the Lord's Supper. So you have baptism, which is water, and then uh, you have the Lord's Supper, which is blood. This last perspective was held by both Martin Luther and John Calvin. However, the historical context of refuting the false teachings of Serentus, who said the Christ spirit descended on the man Jesus at his baptism, but abandoned him on the cross, points strongly in the direction that John had the baptism of Jesus in mind. End quote. To my mind, reading this, I ask, why is Martin Luther and John Calvin wrong? Akin doesn't say other than the historical context. And I feel that we don't have enough data to weigh the merits or to understand how and why Akin made his conclusion. On the other hand, this is what Commentary X has concerning Luther and Calvin's interpretation. I quote, First, John is concerned with combating false teachers who denied the human nature of Jesus. It is therefore unlikely that John would now switch topics. Second, John uses the past tense, ho elthon, the one who came, which reflects a past, completed event in history, whereas baptism and the Lord's Supper are recurring observances. Third, although water seems to be a likely synonym for baptism, the same is not true for blood and the Lord's Supper. End quote. So here in this commentary acts, he explains very clearly, I think, I hope you agree, that why Luther and Calvin are wrong. And this is just a small part of a larger section explaining the other views and how they came to be and why they too are wrong. 
before settling to the same conclusion as Aiken in the CCE. On the question of water and blood, okay, just this question, I checked the academic journals that I have. Howard Marshall's New International Commentary on the New Testament, uh, the Venerable NICNT, John Stott's Tyndale New Testament Commentary, the TNTC, the Stephen Smalley's World Word Biblical Commentary, the WBC, and these commentaries give, uh, gave helpful insights to the question, which is to be expected because uh, these are academic commentaries. They give nitty-gritty details, often at the expense of accessibility. It can be hard to read. Although I think the Tyndale New Testament Commentary, or TNTC, as a series, manages to give a good balance in a concise volume. Now, if we don't take the academic commentaries, let's look at uh, that one that is more similar to the CCE. The Bible Speaks Today commentary series, or the BST, has uh, David Jackman writing the commentary on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. David Jackman is the, is the one I quoted in the, in the beginning of this episode, and he writes under similar constraints to uh, Daniel Aiken, uh, who is writing for the CCE. Comparing how these two treat uh, 1 John 5, 6 uh, side by side, Jackman is more focused uh, when he expounds the text, while Akin tends to drift halfway towards exalting Jesus, which is the title of the, of the book. <laughs> so, he, so there is a conscious, and I would put to you a deliberate, okay? it, it is a very de deliberate movement towards exalting Jesus. So Akin would punctuate his commentary with statements like, Jesus is the anointed son. Jesus will be the suffering king. Jesus was not a mere man. He is the son of God who is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Praise his name. He did come to die for us and he did come to change us. So there is a very strong exaltation of Jesus. And I argue that there is more exaltation and less exposition in some parts, okay, not all. I want to make a special mention here of uh, David Allen of the Preaching the Word series. Uh, this was actually quite a fun read, this chapter of his. His commentary on this passage, 1 John 5-6, is a combination of creative writing and exposition. I quote, As the courtroom comes to order, our eyes are riveted on an aged man who stands and approaches the front of the court. A former fisherman, he is now famous worldwide as the only surviving member of the original 12 disciples who followed Jesus. His name is John. End quote. And this chapter has the water and the blood and they are the witness and so on. So it's a, it's really, it's a story. So that was a very interesting chapter. He, so Alan, in his chapter, goes on a different track with this passage. He doesn't weigh the merits of different views, so there's no scholarship uh, as such, or at least it's not visible uh, explicitly to the reader, but rather he brings out the flavor of the testimony and the, and the feeling of being a witness, uh, which is inherent in the passage. So, very interesting. But coming back to my review of Exalting Jesus in 1st, 2nd and 3rd John, I actually prepared another example for comparison. I, I wanted to share about uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, which says, 
If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. End quote. Now, this is a puzzling verse. <laughs> it comes so naturally, this question, that anybody who reads it would ask, what is the sin that does not lead to death? What is the sin that does lead to death? And so, when we have these questions, more is expected from any commentary. And the CCE is found lacking. While it does tell us the three views, again, it doesn't explain how it came about or why we should accept CCE's view in comparison to the other conclusions uh, that, that it uh, presents. The conclusion in the CCE is simply asserted. On the other hand, Commentary Acts explains the different views, compares the data, and while it reaches the same conclusion in the CCE, it gives the reader confidence. In my humble opinion, the preacher especially needs that confidence because his preaching is a result of that confidence. Not confidence in his own ability, but confidence in what the Bible says. Hence, the preacher studies as much as he can given the time, money, and the ability he, pos he possesses. I'm not saying the preacher has to publish a journal paper out of his studies, merely that his conclusions, his preaching, can be supported or defended from the text. Now, what is this commentary X that somehow always reaches the same conclusion as the CCE, but substantiates them better, and I dare say communicates them better? in some parts. And it can, it's substantiated better because Commentary Acts is an academic commentary and is thus expected to provide evidence. But you ask, how can it be fair to contrast the CCE with an academic commentary? The CCE is doing what it promised, a non-academic devotional commentary for the busy pastor that exalts Jesus. Comparison would be apples to oranges. Totally unfair. Ah, but I argue it's not. It's a delicious comparison. Because Commentary Acts is the New American Commentary, or NAC for short, on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is written in 2001 by a scholar by the name of Daniel L. Aiken. Yes the same Aiken who wrote the CCE. If you felt that I was a bit hard on Aiken's CCE work, it was because I have both his NAC and CCE in mind. So I knew Aiken possessed the scholarly depth and writing flair to address my main concern with the CCE, but did not because of its different purpose. Okay? The exalting Jesus in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John has a different purpose than the New American Commentary. The New American Commentary is an academic work. The book begins with a discussion on the author, date and place of writing, the occasion, purpose and theology of the epistle. Every chapter assumes some understanding or at least some appreciation of the Greek textual criticism, theology, historical development and so on. Thus, it's not, easy, not an easy book to read, which is why I didn't and couldn't read the whole book for this review. I only used it as a reference 
for the difficult passages in 1 John 5, 6 and 16. Now, what sets apart this uh, New American Commentary book from all the other 1 John commentaries that I mentioned earlier? And also, I say this because I want to showcase Aiken Scholarship. <coughs> what's, uh, what's different is this: there is this um, marvelously long discussion <laughs> on the structure of 1 John. Like I said, I didn't read the whole book, but this was something that I noticed and I was very much uh, amused or gratified by it. <laughs> in, in this discussion on the structure of First John, Aiken presents first a summary of Raymond Brown's survey of 26 outlines from different scholars. Number two, several outlines from more scholars who were using discourse analysis. Three, even more outlines from another set of scholars, this time using rhetorical criticism, before he finally presents number four, his own proposed outline. Now, <coughs> I'm, I freely admit I don't know what is uh, the discourse analysis or rhetorical criticisms and so on. Um, I'm not very familiar with those things. But when I look at the different ways people have broken up the first uh, John, right? So you have so many scholars and so many ways of breaking up the, that, uh, that letter that I think, I would like to think that uh, it validates my own struggles in outlining this episode because uh, it was quite difficult. Uh, again, because of the repetitive nature of the themes that uh, um, Apostle John puts forward. In case you haven't caught on, I quite like the New American Commentary compared to the Christ-centered exposition commentary. Aiken is more focused, I would say, in the former, and we, even with all the academic baggage and a lot of things that I don't really understand, in my opinion, the argument still reads and flows better. In the CCE, the Christ-Centered uh, Exposition Commentary, sometimes I think the, the tension between the expounding and the exalting is not well resolved, which makes the argument seem interrupted and sometimes lacks substance, which is a pity when we now know how much Aiken can bring to the discussion. Now, maybe you say the problem is I'm reading it as an argument when I should read it as a devotional. It's a devotional, man. Don't expect something else from it. Just enjoy it. The thing is, I do enjoy devotional commentaries. David Allen's chapter was very good reading, and I thoroughly enjoy the Reform Expository Commentary series, which is devotional in nature. I suspect, and this is only a suspicion, I'm not getting much out of the CCE because the material, I suspect, would come out better if it's preached, not read. I do have a reason for bringing up Aiken's New American Commentary, and it's not just to pit it against his uh, Christ-centered uh, version. Instead of saying which is better, which listeners would argue is not fair, uh, apples to oranges, I agree. The reason why I bring it up, okay, the two uh, versions, is because I want to propose to you that they are complementary to each other. Instead of choosing between the New American Commentary and the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary, why not just get both? What? I barely can read one and you want me to get two? <laughs> 
Exalting Jesus in 1st, 2nd, 3rd John is free for October. So that's a no-brainer. But even if you have to pay for both books, it might be worth it. Let me explain the synergy. Synergy is what happens when the combined effect is greater than the sum of the parts, or, in easy terms, when 1 plus 1 equals to 3. When you get both the NAC and the CCE, when you get both a research commentary and a devotional commentary by the same author, you get a peek at what happens going from one stage of a sermon to the next. We can see sermons as a two-stage process, hermeneutics, then homiletics, or interpretation, then delivery. If a sermon is a car, the first stage is to fill the tank, and the second stage is to drive it. Sometimes the problem for the preacher is there isn't enough fuel in the tank, and he ends up pushing the car on his own strength, meaning the hermeneutics is weak, and the sermon over-relies on addressing felt needs, personal testimonies, even telling the congregation about dreams and visions that the preacher had. Other times, the problem is the other way. The, the pastor, the preacher, finds he has too much fuel and turns his car into an oil tank truck. What was supposed to be a Christ-exalting sermon becomes a lecture on Greek grammar. Now, how can preachers improve on moving from interpretation to delivery? Books on both hermeneutics and homiletics have chapters to bridge that gap, but there is a limit to how many examples that authors can squeeze into a book. If only, if only we had an author who would take one whole book of the Bible, show us how he does the interpretative work for every verse in that book, and then show us how he would put everything he learned to deliver a series of sermons on that book. What book would it be? Genesis? That would be too many stories scattered all around. Matthew? A bit too long, I think, for, for us. Hmm, it would be good to have something shorter but not too short and something thematically focused. And honestly, in my opinion, of all the books in the Bible, the one that best fits that requirement would be the Epistles of John. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the synergy you can get by getting Aiken's New American Commentary, which is the interpretative work, and Aiken's Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary, which is the delivery work, Okay, the, the more homiletics or devotional work on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Even though it's not a one-to-one -one correspondence, the books don't refer to each other, I think it works really well to see how one man, okay, one man interprets a whole book and later puts it down as a series of sermons or puts it into a devotional setting. You don't often get this type of arrangement uh, by one man for interpretation to delivery, so I wanted to highlight that in this review. In this review, I explained the difference between an academic and a devotional commentary. I also shared one way not the only way to evaluate a commentary, which is to simply see how it deals with a verse. Pick a verse um, that is confusing, like blood and water, or something controversial, like women should be silent in the church, or maybe a verse that is very important, very core to the, to the faith, a core doctrine to the faith, and see how the commentary you have in your hand, see how it deals with it. 
I've once explained to a brother in Christ that we should not view commentaries as authoritative because only the Bible is authoritative. We should view commentaries as friends, knowledgeable friends for sure, friends who have dedicated a lifetime to understand a narrow part of the scripture, but friends whom we can still argue with in a respectful way. In conclusion, even though the Akins Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary and the New American Commentary are both commentaries on 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, they each serve different purposes. The New American Commentary is an academic book. The Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary is a devotional commentary written for busy pastors. For lighter reading, the Christ-Centered Exposition Commentary can be read cover to cover as food for the soul. As a reference on difficult passages, the New American Commentary is better positioned to help you. If you get both together, you get the benefit of seeing how one man interprets and delivers from one book. This is a Reading and Reader's Review of Exalting Jesus in 1st, 2nd and 3rd John by Daniel L. Aiken. If you are listening to this in October 2021, then this book is available for free only in October, only via Logos. And if you miss the offer, well, you should subscribe to Reading and Readers because every month I will review at least one free book for you. And I just want to tell you that you have a very, very special person in your life who believes in Jesus, obeys Jesus, and loves you in a way that no one else would. Yes, your pastor. If your pastor doesn't know it yet, you should tell him about the Logos Free Book of the Month program. And if you could, as a side remark, you could also mention that this podcast reviews uh, Christian books. October is Pastor Appreciation Month, so go and appreciate your pastor today. Until next time, keep reading.